Hi, and welcome to GEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by the team at Global Education Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing children who are affected by conflict or natural disasters with resources like educational materials and art supplies. As part of this podcast, we want to talk about important topics related to children, their human rights, and their education. Of course, neither of us is an expert on these topics. We speak only to our knowledge, personal experiences, perspectives, and opinions but there are many credible online sources for further information. As a disclaimer, uh, this episode will be talking about uh, graphic things like sexual violence as well as um, the death of children um, due to the nature of the topic that we will be discussing, so listener discretion is advised. Um, today we have myself, Catherine Slaughterback, and... Carter Beck. As your hosts. And today we're going to be talking about the situation in Ukraine. Um, so I feel like all of us at this point are pretty familiar with the basics of what's going on. Um, in February of 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, and since then, the two states have been in a series of conflict that has, you know, decimated the country and has uh, had particularly violent effects on children, which we aim to discuss today. So I think it's important to, to recognize that this conflict actually didn't start in February 2022. Um, this conflict has been going on for, for, for several years now. Um, I would say that the initial aggression that we, that we saw, that was the, the, was the starting point for this conflict, was when Russia illegally annexed Crimea in 2014. So what that means is they essentially said that this part of this part of land, which is not part of Russia, we are going to make it part of Russia, and that is Crimea. Crimea is in the Black Sea, uh, Black Sea area um, that was and is a part of Ukraine, but Russia is claiming it to be to be theirs now. And they did that for a number of reasons, but strategically, we've been able to see that it's for their defense and shipping. They use Crimea as a port, a port area where they're able to to ship grain and also to host their Black Sea naval fleet. So I think that this conflict really started in 2014. Plus, we also saw incursions into what's known as the Donbass region of Ukraine. That includes um, Luhansk and Donetsk regions. They're like states. In the U.S., we have like states like like California, Pennsylvania, those states. So the states of Donetsk and Luhansk, they, they were invaded by, you can say, Russian troops. We believe that they are Russian troops. However, Russia is, of course, um, stating that they were not. And there has been fighting in those regions since 2014. But as as Catherine uh, said, the latest episode of this conflict, of this war, was when Russia did a full-scale invasion where they tried to invade from Belarus. They tried to invade from Russia into areas of Ukraine to, as, as we now know, they tried to actually take over the entire country. They tried to take over the capital. They tried multiple assassination attempts against the president, Vladimir Zelensky. Um, and so at that point, the Ukrainians were able to fight back and to the surprise um, of effectively the whole world, they were able to repel the Russian military from capturing the capital, Kiev, as well as many other cities. Um, but there has been a 
a front line that's been established currently um, around the um, Kherson region, Kharkiv region, Donetsk, Luhansk regions, and Zaporizhia. So this is a conflict, unfortunately, a lot of people in the U.S. don't know a lot about because it was talked a lot about in the beginning stages of the war in February of 2022. But many news sources in the United States have have stopped talking about it because they they have lost interest, to be quite frank. And that's that's really a shame because there are some terrible atrocities that have been going on throughout this conflict that the Russians, the Russian soldiers have been committing upon the, the civilian, the Ukrainian civilians. And so it's important that we talk about it to let people know what's going on and to, to help spread the, the information about what is going on with, through this conflict. Absolutely. Because while this is a conflict that is primarily taking place in Ukraine, this does have global effects and implications. Um, of course, we see this in like the neighboring countries of Ukraine who have to be on guard in the event that something would happen with Russia and Russia would then attack them, or even with the countries that are accepting Ukrainian refugees who now have to deal with so many more people that they didn't previously have. Um, or even like recently, with we've seen um, Russia pulling out of the Black Sea grain deal and attacking um Ukrainian ports and places of storage of grain, which is going to have massive global implications just due to how important the Ukrainian um, agriculture market is on a global scale, especially for developing countries in Africa and Asia. Um, so this this isn't like the world kind of stopped talking about it after we realized that this wasn't going to be solved easily, that this wasn't going to just be a quick conflict that Ukraine could, you know, quickly beat Russia back with a stick or that Russia would quickly sweep through and take Ukraine. I, I think once kind of the shock value wore off, uh, the media kind of went, eh, you know, they'll figure it out. It's in Ukraine. You know, that's, that's miles away. Um, so like in, just because of the nature of politics in the United States, we kind of just quickly moved on and began discussing a bunch of other stuff. Um, but it, it's so big. And I think there's so many things that, Americans need to be talking about, especially um, as people in Congress kind of go back and forth on supporting Ukraine, especially with military aid, um, if not um, like humanitarian aid. So it, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, and, and I'd like to speak on that really uh, briefly. Um, uh, there's, I think there's a large misconception in the, the news today, and it's become a politicized issue where many people are saying we're sending too much, um, we're sending too much monetary aid to Ukraine. We're sending hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine. And, but that's actually not a factual statement. Um, the majority of military aid that we are sending is military aid that has been stockpiled and in many cases has been scheduled to be decommissioned or destroyed. And so instead of being decommissioned or destroyed, the U.S. Um, Department of Defense has been sending those materials to assist the Ukrainian military. And so it's not like we're actually sending cash. What we're doing is we're sending the, the equipment 
And what is written down is the monetary value of the equipment. So when you look at a package, a donation, well, not a defense package that is sent to Ukraine, and it says that the package is $1.5 billion. It's not $1.5 billion of cash. It's $1.5 billion worth of equipment that was already sitting in a warehouse and was scheduled to be destroyed, where there's going to be a cost associated with that destruction of materials. And so I think that's a big misconception that a lot of people are taking out of proportion in, in U.S. politics today, and they're using it as a talking point. And it, it, it's really anno annoying to, to hear these talking points because it's misinformed uh, members of our political parties that are spreading this misinformation. And that's really what it is. It's misinformation, maybe due to their own ignorance, but they're talking about it and it's spreading false information. So that's, I wanted to, to say that real briefly. And we see this is very prevalent on the internet. Many people are saying that, oh, well, we need to stop sending money over there because there's issues um, over here. But that's not the case. We are sending equipment that has a monetary value and... Like I said, that equipment is old and was scheduled to be destroyed anyway. It was sitting in a warehouse. It's not cash. And that, that's, a, that's a point that really annoys me about a lot of politicians and news, news outlets today. Absolutely. And that's really important to touch on just due to how much I think misinformation about the conflict in Ukraine is being spread online. Um, so little PSA, always fact check what you're reading just to always make yeah. sure that what, what you're reading is true, that it's not skewed in some way. Because, um, I mean, we all have our own internal biases. The news, of course, has their own biases. So making sure that you are getting as factual of information as possible is always important. But also, like I said earlier, due to the nature of like politics in this country, we always work to dramatize things. Mm -hmm. um, so if people can make it a talking point and make it seem something that it isn't to kind of divert attention away from the things that actually need to be addressed, then they're going to do that. Um, so by pointing fingers and saying, hey, why are we sending so much money on Ukraine? They're not like actually addressing like where the United States is actually spending money on where we shouldn't. Um, besides, in the politest way possible, like... The U.S. has, like, one of the biggest militaries in the world. We are the biggest spender of, like, defense money in the world. I think we can spare what is essentially pocket change to help Ukraine. Um, well, in their it's also to... not even pocket change. It was money that was spent years and years ago when the equipment was manufactured to begin with. Yeah, and, and so it's not it's not it like it's coming it's not like it's coming out of the current budget. There is some money that is being coming that is coming out of the current budget, but the majority is just the monetary value of the equipment. So it's not it's no no new money is being spent when we send equipment that is that that was sitting warehouse. Yes, there's the transportation cost, but that's negligible at this point. Yeah. I, I feel like uh, with that like part of that you need people need to understand why defending the sovereignty of Ukraine is important. Cause I feel like everyone's just like, it's Ukraine. It's just, it, who cares? But it, it's a, a big deal. Um, because one, this is like a clear violation of international law, like point blank, like Russia is violating international law 
severely. The last time this was done in a manner was when um, was when Kuwait was invaded, uh, which kicked off what well, Operation well, Desert Storm. Time, last time I would say would actually be the Russian invasion of Georgia in 2011, oh. I believe. But then even before that, you can talk about uh, Kuwait. You can talk. There's there's lots of examples. Um, but I think just this is an example where we've seen multiple um, multiple violations of international law by the Russian um, by the, the by Russia. Yeah, and, and and like I was saying, when Kuwait was invaded, like we were able to respond, like <clears throat> with obviously that had to be done with military action, like Operation Desert Storm, like I was saying, um, and similar military um, operations. But due to the nature of international politics, that can't be done with Ukraine um, because uh, Russia is able to veto things on the Security Council. The UN can't do much in terms of military support. So it really comes down to countries individually being able to offer aid. And some countries are going to be more willing than others to do that. And the United States just happens to, like I said, we ha we are one of the most like economically, economically advantaged countries in the world. We have the ability to aid Ukraine in this as, um, because like in the politest way possible, the United States has kind of set ourselves up as this defender of democracy. So how, how can we say that we're going to defend democracy, but then not defend it in Ukraine? Mm. So it's, also, if we look at proportion of of defense, and and if you look at the monetary value of equipment and humanitarian aid that has been sent, um, I don't want to ignore many of like the Baltic countries. Um, I don't want to ignore like Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, because as a proportion of like their total GDP, they've actually sent a much larger percentage than really any any other country in the world. So. Um, big um credit to to those countries um for providing so much compared to what they have and so so it's it's really been a global effort at this point and it's it's been amazing to see um the the coming together of of nato and solidifying partnerships and being able to adjust course when energy prices skyrocket when food prices skyrocket it's this war has had repercussions throughout many different sectors and the world is doing um, what they can to adapt for food security and ener energy policy as well. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I think it's kind of interesting how the world was able to come together to address that like you mentioned with nato being able to come together like the eu all of these different organizations obviously mostly barring the un have been able to come together and try and work proactively to address this because i i, I don't think russia expected them to do that at all like in the years leading up to the invasion of ukraine i i think we had all like seen kind of like a deterioration in international politics where like organizations weren't able to work as fluidly. They weren't able to come together as like, as the United forces we've seen here. So I think not only did Russia expect Ukraine to be much easier to conquer as a country, but also that the entire global community wouldn't essentially kick up as much of a fuss as we did. 
And I think the 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 precedent um, was set when Ukraine when Russia invaded Georgia, and then also when Russia illegally annexed Crimea in 2014. Um, we yeah, because we, we essentially did nothing. Correct. We can't point fingers and say that it's a political issue um, because uh, President uh, Barack Obama was in office during that time and there were no uh, there were no real tangible and effective repercussions against Russia for this illegal annexation. And then for the four years that um, President Donald Trump was in office, there was no repercussions or, or um, there was no there was there was nothing that that government well that that his presidency did to to Russia in fact many can argue that he even weakened Ukraine in that in his four years because of the um, because of his threats for from pulling out of NATO um, plus also issues with potentially holding back uh, defense um, defense spending de- defense spend money uh, to Ukraine. Uh, because the Ukrainian government was wasn't doing what he wanted, and so you can make the argument that he weakened Ukraine in those four years. Plus, also Russia saw that they weren't being held accountable for their illegal actions through both a democratic president and a republican president. So they thought that this was going to be exactly the same when they invaded again in February of 2022. And because they saw that nothing had happened to them before. So um, thankfully, there was a different response from the global community uh, this time around. Absolutely. Uh, And hopefully we will maintain that collective response as the war continues. But absolutely. Like even with that, like with the weakening of NATO, I like Mm -hmm. Russia accomplished exactly what the, the opposite of what they were trying to do. Like, mm-hmm. since the invasion of Ukraine, like, Sweden just got approved to join. Um, Finland joined. Did, like, did join, yep. Yeah, so I- instead of seeing that weakening of NATO that I think they expected, if anything, they just strengthened it and allowed it to expand because now all of these new countries see the benefits of having that collective security. Um, and want to join and, also and have the, that. The, and also the need for collective security because Absolutely. Russia did a full, a full on invasion and tried to take over the capital of a country unprovoked. And so I think a lot of countries, like you said, see that they actually need it now. They see that there's not only the benefit, but also the necessity because it can happen. Um, not through, there was no logical reasoning behind Russia's um, invasion. It was unprovoked and that put a lot of countries on notice. And we also saw increased defense spending and um, R&D in Poland, Germany, and many other countries as well, because they realized that they need to uh, modernize their militaries to to be at the at their top top level. And, you know, while I think Western countries can comfortably sit here and say that Ukraine obviously did not provoke Russia. Russia is, of course, going to say something different. From their point of view, like they were not only provoked by the Ukrainian government trying to become more westernized, trying to, um, like, written into the Ukrainian constitution is that they want to join the EU and NATO. 
like point blank that has been their goal since day one they have been working to accomplish that they have been obviously that's kind of flip-flopped with um the presidents they've had because some presidents lean more towards the east while others lean more towards the west but with the election of president Zelensky, like people were pretty hopeful that they would be able to strengthen ties with the west and hopefully be able to join these organizations because like i said it is like enshrined in the ukrainian constitution that that is one of their major goals as a country to join these organizations so i think not only did like russia see like the weakening of these organizations over the past four years as a great way to like kind of strike to try and do it now um but also i think they they got a little nervous because they saw the pro-western sentiment that was growing in ukraine even if that like sentiment isn't necessarily shared in all of Ukraine, as especially in the eastern provinces where most of the fighting with Russia has been occurring, there is pretty strong pro-Russia sentiment, or there at least was before the war started, um, that this this was going to be something that would be addressed very heavily. So I, I think they felt provoked. Um, and now, especially with the expansion of NATO, and like the growing defense spending that you mentioned, I, I think they feel like backed into a corner almost like mm-hmm. that they've they've kind of like cornered themselves and realized that they kind of accomplished exactly what they were trying to not do. Yeah. So it, it's it's very interesting to examine it that way. And that's that's where we we need to. We need to stay calm and be objective about the next steps moving forward rather than be emotional because it's very easy to get emotional about once you especially once you read a lot of these facts about what is going on or you even go to ukraine and observe what has happened and what is what is ongoing um and before we continue i'd also like to share that our nonprofit global education connection has gone to ukraine several times since the invasion february of 2022 and so we have been able to observe these effects uh, in, in person. And so with that, we are able to to share some very credible information with what is going on um, because we've been able to actually go there ourselves and see what is going on. And so um, we first went in January of 2023, and then we went again in March and April um, of 2023 as well. And in that time, we were able to meet many kids um, who had been displaced from the war, who were living in the east of the country and had gone to the the west of the country. Many of them, their homes, their villages, their towns, their cities had been destroyed because of this war. We were able to meet a lot of them and provide them with educational materials and art supplies to help them to continue with their education and their development. It was very eye-opening and very inspiring to see the great work that is being done um, in Ukraine to be able to help these kids specifically, not just with what's going on with the military, not just with what's going on with uh, adults, but to be able to help these kids. Um, I mean, looking at some statistics, um, according to globalcitizen.org, an article published uh, by Tess Lowry, uh, February 23rd, 2023, um, one third of people living in Ukraine have been displaced. 
So one in three people with 90% of these people being women and children, because men have to stay according to the, the law with what's going on right now, just in case they need to be called up to, to fight off the, um, the Russian invasion. And so looking at some, some more of these statistics, unfortunately, we've seen some evidence. Uh, the, the global community has seen evidence of Russian war atrocities that have been committed in areas that were occupied by Russia and then freed by the Ukrainian military. And they've been able to observe some of the some of the, the very dark and evil acts that the Russian military has been uh, inflicting on Ukrainian civilians. Um, according to this same article, um, sexual violence is being used as a weapon of war. Um, so the article says that uh, since Putin invaded Ukraine, women have been gang raped, men castrated, children sexually abused, and civilians forced to parade naked in the streets, according to the United Nations. Um, that is something that we've been able to see with uh, Bucha, uh, an area north of Kiev, which was initially occupied by the Russian military um, in their first attempt to take the capital. Um, but it's also been observed in many other um, towns, cities, villages in other parts of the country. And so, un unfortunately, kids and women and elderly, uh, elderly people are victim to a lot of these um, war crimes. And so it's important to to continue to research this just to see exactly what the Russian military has done to these innocent civilians, which is which is clearly a war crime. And as, as a modern society, we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Um, people can make the argument that, well, war is war, war is evil, uh, war is hell. But we are a modern society, and that cannot be tolerated if we are going to advance and continue to be better as people and humans. That cannot be tolerated. Once we know what is going on, anyone that does not speak out against it is ignoring it. And if you ignore, and if you turn a blind eye to what you see has happened, um, that I, I'm fearful to, to, to see what can happen when we ignore some of the, the war crimes that have been committed. Absolutely, because it, it's not just, like you mentioned, like the, the sexual violence being uh, issued against Ukrainian civilians or even just the Russian military's like bombing of civilian structures and killing civilians actively, which, again, is a violation of international law. But they've also been, the phrasing of this is a little odd, but like forcibly deporting Ukrainian children back to Russia, essentially mm -hmm. stealing kids and then yeah. illegally adopting them out to Russian families, mm -hmm. um, which is essentially ethnic genocide because they're, they're stealing these Ukrainian children from their homeland and trying to force them into like, <laughs> like Russian families. And Correct. like, it's, it's, it's not just what you typically think about when you think about mm -hmm. war and its impacts on civilians. It's so much bigger than that because yes. Like Russia's nefarious attempts. It, it's not just about like taking this land, but bring back essentially what was called Kievan Rus, um, which included Ukraine and that area and making them all 
essentially one ethnically homogeneous country. Um, so it it's so much bigger than just soldiers on the front lines or even what you'd expect as violence towards civilians, but it's they are they are stealing children. Absolutely. And and like you said, like this this conflict has had uh, global ramifications, not just with what's going on with the war, like you said, with soldiers fighting each other. But if we look at on a global scale, Russia is uh, so according to Swiss Info, um, which is a Swiss um, news site, um, Russia is a top grain and fertilizer producer and Ukraine is a top grain exporter. So Ukraine is one of the top grain exporters in the in the world, and Russia is one of the top grain and fertilizer producers. And so both these countries play a vital role in global food security. And so what we've been able to see is once this war started, a lot of trade cut off, from, especially from the Black Sea region. And that was the main shipping route that a lot of grain and fertilizer went through to get to um, many countries in Africa and also countries around the world from Africa. Um, so with, with the importance uh, being known about, the, about food security, um, the United Nations and Turkey brokered in July of 2022 what's known as the Black Sea Grain Initiative. And that's going to be between Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, and the United Nations. They established a memorandum of understanding, and they were able to effectively create channels where grain is able to flow through to a lot of countries in Africa that depend upon this grain for their food security. Um, looking at some, some more information about this, um, the Horn of Africa is especially has been especially affected by drought in recent years, and they have been pushed into millions of people in the Horn of Africa have been pushed into hunger. Um, according to the World Food Program, um, they said after three years of drought, more than 23 million people across parts of Ethiopia, Kenya, Somalia face severe hunger. And so the Black Sea Grain Initiative was established to help alleviate that. And uh, we, we saw recently that Russia actually pulled out of the Black Sea Grain Initiative um, because they just weren't satisfied. They weren't getting what they wanted out of it. And that's that's a very selfish look um, for a country, especially when there's people that are starving that rely very heavily upon your grain. Um, we There's many countries um, who actually their sole source of uh, grain is from the uh, is from like Ukraine and from Russia. Um, we look at Somalia um, is one of the main ones where almost all of their grain comes from both Russia and Ukraine, and so this this conflict effectively is is contributing to the starvation of that population. And unfortunately, kids are affected the most through this. Um, according to the World Food Program Executive Director Cindy McCain, um, she was uh, at a visit in Somalia where she saw nearly 500,000 children are at risk of dying in the country because of malnutrition. And so we can very easily look at who are the main actors in what is going on with the starvation in that country. And if you can say that they're not getting the grain that they need, 
when Russia is one of the main sources of that grain, you can say that Russia is contributing to the genocide of Somali kids. And that's that's not and that's not an assumption. That's there's there's no leap there. That is just logical reasoning. Absolutely. And I will say that the United States and other um, countries are trying to figure out solutions on how we can get more grain out of the United, out of Ukraine, whether that's being driven out by train, if we can build up their um, ability to store it in the meantime. Um, obviously, these aren't perfect solutions, and it's not going to entirely address the amount of grain that we'll no longer be able to get out using the Black Sea, but it will still hopefully at least be something. Um, mm-hmm. I'd also just like a little PSA for any listeners in America or even um, in countries in Europe, this will not affect us in like a substantive matter. Like don't go out and bulk buy like flour or grain or bread. This is mostly going to be towards developing countries in Africa and Asia. So don't go out and start like a, a, a global race to get the most flour into your cupboard. Um, for us in America, American farmers should hopefully be able to handle it, so it won't be as big of a deal for us. Um, but that doesn't make it any less important to talk about or to address, especially in international politics and global affairs, as due to, like we were saying, the disastrous effects that will have for people in the Horn of Africa and other starving children around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's other countries in Africa that rely very heavily um, upon Ukrainian grain. Um, you look at Egypt is is one of them, um, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, but because logistically of where Ukraine is with the Black Sea, that's a very, um, a very efficient trade route going from the Black Sea, going through the Bosphorus, and then down into Africa from there. It's just a very, uh, very logical and efficient trade route, which is why much of Africa relies so heavily upon Ukrainian grain. Um, so we were able to also see some effects from the energy crisis. Um, Russia threatened and then also reduced or even cut off um, natural gas and uh, oil exports to many countries in Europe. And I think in hindsight, we can say that uh, Europe should not have been so heavily reliant upon a sole source of energy, especially when that sole source is Russia. And what I think was really amazing and a benefit that has been able to, to, to come out of this conflict has been that European countries have realized that they need to diversify their sources of, of energy. So there's been more investment into uh, wind, solar, nuclear, and, and other, other forms of, of energy rather than relying upon fossil fuels. And so that's, I think, a great benefit um, in the research and development that is going into uh, these renewable sources of energy as an unintended co- consequence uh, based off of this conflict. Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of um, like a really great segue into like the, the general effects that this conflict is having on the environment, not just in Ukraine, but also mm-hmm. in the bodies of water near Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, like the kind of weapons that are being used are toxic to the environment. Uh, and even uh, in like the Black Sea and these bodies of water, due to like Russian submarines, um, being in the water, the kind of 
um, from my understanding, like the sonar that they use mm-hmm. is actually um, like, not, I don't know if it's necessarily like distracting or um, in some way um, like confusing to dolphins so mm-hmm. that like dolphins are dying in mass and washing up on beaches in Ukraine. So this, it, it's not just affecting obviously the people in the global markets and energy and all of these other things, but also the like long, like the, the lifelong consequences essentially that are going to happen because of what they're doing to the environment. Um, the waste that's being spilled into the ocean, like things that are being burnt down in the fighting, like this is going to be such a bigger thing than just, again, just soldiers fighting each other. Um, it's it's so big and it has so many layers to it that the disastrous effects that it's going to have on the environment in Ukraine, in the surrounding areas, um, in the waters um, are going to stick around for a while. This isn't something that we can just put a Band-Aid over. It's, it's going to be around for a while and that's going to affect the people that live in Ukraine who now have to deal with like all of this waste and toxic uh, stuff in their environment or their, their, uh, like I said, the water that is now like not as safe as it was before. It's going to have so many consequences, not just now, but in the future as well. That's a, that's a great point. And then also wanted to discuss that the, um, there was the Kokovka dam that was blown up um, and the evidence is pointing towards Russia as being the, the guilty party in blowing up this dam. It's, it's very hard to, to, to believe that Ukraine would blow up their own dam, but you can, you can look at the evidence that points to um, Russia blowing up the Kokovka dam. And a lot of the environmental impacts downstream um, in flooding many villages, I think um, up to 80 villages were... Uh, flooded and destroyed because of the downstream effects of blowing up this dam. Plus, also being able to to mix all of the the chemicals, the the um, the agricultural um, agricultural chemicals, industrial chemicals into the waterways, and also just household materials and the effects that that has. Because all of that eventually goes through the Dnieper River and into the Black Sea. So that that's a huge source of pollution for. Um, for that that area, and so you can look at Russia has potentially um, potentially uh, committed a um, an act of um, environmental terrorism. Um, you know, when the only reason why I say potentially is because we have not seen an international investigation into that yet. I am very hopeful that we will, and I'm also I'm also fairly certain in my own analysis and opinion that Russia is the guilty party in that. But of course, being logical, being um, wanting to be objective, I'm not going to point the finger just yet because there has not been that international investigation. Yeah. And with this um, like attack on the environment, that's also going to eventually affect our economy, given how much wheat, barley, grain, sunflower products that Ukraine grows and exports. If you don't have the ability to safely grow those products, then you can't produce them and sell them. So I, I think this is kind of going to end up being like a ticking time bomb, ticking time bomb, where eventually we're going to see that it's it's potentially no longer safe 
to use certain parts of Ukraine as farmland. Um, and as yeah. like we were saying earlier, the, a major exporter that they are of these products, that's going to have consequences again in Africa and Asian countries that rely on Ukraine for those. Yeah, and and then also if you look at a lot of the um, the, the farmland. Uh, Google has done a fantastic job of updating Google Maps to show uh, imaging. I would highly recommend people um, go and look at um, cities and towns in Ukraine. Mariupol, for example, you can look at Bucha, you can look at Kharkiv, Kherson, Zaporizhia, and or also the Hostomel Airport north of Kiev. And you can see the crater impacts in um, in destroyed buildings. Um, plus also in, um, in farms and that's lead and other toxic materials that are going into the soil, which makes a lot of this farmland not usable for the next couple of years, um, or longer because there needs to, they need to go through and properly clean the soil. So that's able to produce good, healthy, um, crops. Yeah. So how many Ukrainians just lost their livelihood with that? No, the but also, of- as as we talked about too, the down the downstream, uh, well, not not the literal downstream effects, but we can talk about the way that the economy in Ukraine is set up, where they're a, a an exporter of grain to Africa. Those African countries don't don't have access to their grain imports that they had, and their reliance upon those grain imports. So the. Yeah. There, there are there are lasting ramifications because of this conflict, and it is it is because of the the fact that Russia decided to invade, and rather than rather than voice their concerns through diplomacy, they 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 invaded and have subsequently um, affected the lives of hundreds of millions, if not billion people. Yeah. How many people in Ukraine are now going to live in poverty because they've lost their livelihoods or lost their homes and had to flee the country? How many are going to have longstanding mental or physical health issues due to PTSD or um, injuries they sustained either in combat or because where they were as a civilian was subject to Russian aggression? Like this is this is going to be a big deal especially in the future, especially for organizations that, similar to us, provide educational material for children who now may need more emotional and physical support than they previously did, or for organizations like Doctors Without Borders that provide healthcare um, to people, um, organizations that provide others with food that now may no longer be able to use Ukraine as an an ability to, you know, get grain for that, or... um, organizations that deal with the environment that now have to redirect attention towards Ukraine with, you know, the war had on that. So it's, it's going to have massive global comp, um, global ramifications, um, especially for international orgs who now kind of have to focus their attention there um, because of, I think, how big and longstanding of an issue it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to also leave people with um, with some 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 possible solutions. I want to leave people with hope, and in that we've seen that there are a lot of fantastic organizations that have been created, 
um, such as our own Global Education Connection, but also others that are doing fantastic work in Ukraine and other countries um, that have been affected because of this conflict. And so if you if you want to learn more, I highly recommend you continue to research and talk to people about this issue. Um, but it's also important to, if you're just talking to, to people, to, to know the full spectrum of facts before we draw our conclusions. Donate to groups that are doing this work in Ukraine as well as other countries. Um, if you can't donate, possibly um, try volunteering or working for some of these organizations. Um, these organizations, these NGOs, are a, a vital part of the reconstruction of, of this country and in being able to assist the environment as well as the civilians of the country. Um, they're doing fantastic work in, in education for kids, um, plus also psychological help. Um, it's, it's really inspiring to see the way that the global community has been able to respond to this. And my, my urge to everyone is that we continue to talk about it and it not let it fade from our, um, our, our daily conversations. Stay up to date with what's going on. And so, and so that way there is continued pressure on our politicians to, to continue to help Ukraine and stop Russia from, from these war crimes that they are committing. Awesome. So, um, Based off of that, I would highly recommend everyone to continue to have these conversations and continue to talk to Ukrainian people to get their perspective, because that's going to be the, the best way for us to learn anything is to actually talk to people that have been there and know what's going on. Don't just blindly um, watch the news and listen to people that don't really understand the conflict and are just trying to gain attention. Um, because that is how misinformation spreads. So um, we are a, a credible source of information because we have been to Ukraine several times and we are continuing to go there and support the Ukrainian people. And so I, I highly recommend people to, to follow us on our social media platforms so that way they can stay up to date with what we're doing in the country, as well as other countries around the world, not just with the Ukrainian conflict. Um, so Catherine, thank you for... Thank you for this conversation. Of course. Um, like Carter mentioned, uh, you can always go to our website, www.globaleducationconnection.org, to find more about what we do, um, who we are, and how you can support us, like our coloring book. Hey, there we go. Um, so as part of our nonprofit, we created a coloring book. And this coloring book is something that we are distributing to kids all around the world. It's a way for them to be able to, to draw, plus also learn about facts about animals. It's a creative outlet for kids that have been affected by conflict or natural disaster to be able to draw, to express them, to be able to express themselves in a, in a creative artistic way and to escape from the, the, the conflict or natural disaster that is, that has affected their lives. This coloring book is available on Amazon. If you like, to, if you like the content that we produce, if you like what we do as a nonprofit organization, please go on to Amazon and buy this coloring book. You can give it to your kids, your friends, your neighbors. It's a great way to be able to support us in what we do and our continued mission to be able to help out these kids. 
Great. Well, again, thank you all so much for joining us today. This has been a really great talk. I think we touched on a lot of really important issues. Again, you can find us on our website, but you can also find us on all of our social media platforms. So thanks again. Bye. Bye.